welcome to the Spiritual and Empowerment Living with Tia podcast, a sacred place and resource for spiritually centered women who want to go from the mundane to the magical life for overcoming fear and doubt, reconnecting with the goddess, understanding messages from spirit, and uncovering your spiritual gifts so you can finally live the life you deserve. Hello, spiritual trailblazers, and welcome to this amazing episode. I cannot wait to introduce you to our lovely guest and all the knowledge she has in store. This episode, calm your nervous system and reduce mental exhaustion with Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. We have the amazing Rachel Raymond, and for the past 20 years, she has been on a personal and professional journey studying Ayurveda acupuncture, Chinese medicine, meditation, mindfulness, and so much more. As an Ayurveda practitioner and a board-certified doctor of Oriental medicine, she weaves these ancient medical traditions together and expertly applies them to the challenges posed by our hectic modern lives. Her business is called the Yin Way, but it's also a philosophy that calls for a cultural paradigm shift of our time. Rachel is a leader of the future and helps her clients reorient their lives in the direction of ease, health, and unshakable inner happiness. She's a lover of international travel, the food that goes along with it, and prides herself on hosting delicious dinner parties with family and friends. Not to mention she's a wife, mother, mother, and has the sweetest golden retriever named Honey. Oh, Rachel, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, and I am definitely excited to learn all of this wonderful information because it is definitely needed more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yes. So before we dive into um, the science, if you will, behind uh, this uh, way of life and looking at things, what's a, a day in a life for you? H- how does this show up for you in, in your life to get a visual of what it looks like? Oh, sure. I love that question because I always ask this question of other people. Whenever <laughs> awesome. Tell me about your daily routine. Um, so yeah, how does this show up? So, so much of Ayurveda and Chinese medicine can be seen in how one chooses to live their daily routine. And like you shared in my bio, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, my son is two and a half. Um, and you know, I'm working, my husband's working. So we do have that, you know, the busy lifestyle of this time of life. Um, but that said, I have a lot of ways in which I work these traditions into my lifestyle. Um, for one thing, it starts, uh, when I wake up in the morning, which, um, is I generally wake up a little bit before my son does. And that's in order so that I can meditate. I I have a daily meditation practice that I've been doing for almost 20 years, which has really changed my life um, in the short term and in the long term after all these years. And I um, have a gratitude practice in the morning. And if I have extra time, I'll write or do something for myself. But generally, um, after I meditate, my son is awake and it's time to start the day. 
And so, so then it's just on to the daily things with, with family. I make us breakfast. Um, my breakfast choices are really based on what foods are going to be best for my, my personal body. Like everybody, um, we all need different things. So it's, so I've learned to figure out what my body is asking for on a day-to-day basis and give it that. Um, and then either I'll be working in the morning or hanging out with my son. And then there's lunch and lunch as I'm, I'll probably talk about more is a very important meal to sit down and actually eat, um, without distractions, without work. And so that, you know, in itself is a big part of my daily routine and my practice. And even if it's only taking 10 minutes to eat something, um, it's something that I never, I never skip. Um, and is really important to me that I maintain that part of my routine. Um, and then the day goes on, either more work or hanging out with my son. Um, right now he's napping, thank goodness, <laughs> we never know. Um, and then in the evening, um, like I'll make dinner for the family and then it's, um, it's you know kind of winding down time and then I try to get to bed between 10 and 11. Um, and that's really important to me to, to get enough sleep, to go to sleep at the, the times of the day that are best for the body to heal and to rejuvenate. Um, and there's exercise thrown in there and rest and play and sometimes more meditation and all sorts of things that change up on a day-to-day level. So, but that's the basis of it. Wow. That's really cool. So it sounds like while it's structured, it's pretty much open-ended because I, I was just thinking, like when you were saying you were meditating, can someone easily swap that? I don't want to say easily, but can someone swap that out for, say, walking or jogging in the morning? Yeah. So you, it's, um, there's, in Ayurveda, there's a lot of elements to the morning routine and for different purposes. Um, and so, um, you know, I, people can choose what works for their own body, what works for, you know, their own mind. And, um, like I do better if I exercise after I eat breakfast, um, like a couple hours after. So, um, but some people love to just wake up and move their bodies right away. And it just really wakes them up and sets their mood for the day. So there is some individual variation there. And something that I do is I help people create their morning routines so that they can have more energy throughout the day, feel more calm, more focused, um, more peaceful. And there's many, many different ways we can look at the morning routine and even things like how do you stimulate your senses first thing in the morning? What's the first thing you see, the smell, hear, all those things can really set the tone of the day. Awesome. And you, you've mentioned like per the person, per the body type, how can we ascertain what works for our body type? Is there a test we take? How does that go down? Okay, so um, that's a great question. In Ayurveda, there are three different main body types, but this is like the body, but also the mind. So kind of your physical features, but also your mental, emotional temperament. And um, it's very helpful to kind of take a quiz or get an assessment about what your main type is, whether it's the what we call vata, which would be like this windy type of person, which they tend to be kind of their body types are more on the thin, lean side. Um, vata people are really like, um, they love to move and jump around and dance and they're always, always busy. They're very active. Um, they're very creative. They're um, flexible. 
but on the so that's like the positive attributes of vata the windy type but um each constitutional type has its kind of imbalances or its downsides and for vata it can be spaciness or forgetfulness or anxiety um it, or it could be things like digestive issues like gas and bloating and constipation. And so, um, so it can be really helpful to get an assessment of, are you the windy type, the vata, are you fire type, the pitta, or the earth and water type, which would be kapha. Um, so there is a quiz you can take online. It's, there's a website called Banyan Botanicals. Um, they're a great resource for all things Ayurveda. They have a quiz. It's called the dosha quiz that you can take. Um, and it's not, it's a really great introduction. It's not always hundred percent accurate, um, because you know, it's hard to be objective about ourselves sometimes. So, um, that is something that I do with all of my clients as we go through an assessment and I tell them what is their type that their constitution that they're born with, but then also what is their imbalance at the moment. And then we go through ways that we can fix their or kind of adapt their lifestyle or what they're eating or what they're doing or how stressed they are in a way that balances whatever imbalances are showing up. Wow. Yeah. I will need to take that quiz. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, uh, when people say I'm a morning person or I'm a nighttime person or um, I, I was watching someone's uh, Instagram stories about how they have a, a hot drink and a cold drink. And I do that too. When you were saying like the fire type and the watery type, I'm thinking, hmm, is that me? I'm a mixture. So yeah, I, I definitely need to take this. I'll, I'll post a link in the description for this uh, episode because this is important. People, I think, uh, may write themselves off. Like you were saying, sometimes we, when we take that test, we may not have the most accurate response because we're looking at it from our standpoint, which sometimes we won't pick up certain things about ourselves. Right which is why it's great to go to you. And then, you know, you can put the pieces together and say, okay, this is what it seems like you really are. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the really important thing about that is it helps us to accept how we are and to like, like mm -hmm. be okay with who we are and, and how we function in the world. Because there's some, um, I would say like, let's say the Vata type is maybe more culturally ideal, like the thinner body type, the really busy, active, on the go. Like, I think that our culture kind of places more value on that, hmm. but it's not necessarily true, like that that is what's valuable in a way. And um, so some people who are more like homebodies and they want to, instead of, you know, when we could go out in the world more, they want to sit home and read all weekend. And then they tell me that they feel guilty that they don't do anything, but it's like, but that's what they love. They're doing what they love, which is to be home mm -hmm. and cozy and reading with a cup of tea. And so it's, it helps people not to feel bad about their inner nature and to just really accept themselves a little bit more and, and not to see that there's one type that's better than the others. That's kind of like arbitrary based on like what our culture you know the trends of the time right so can someone say in a different stage of life switch from uh, uh i think you said a pitta to a, a vita can they switch uh, vata. so vata. you're asking such great questions oh my gosh so you um what happens is you're born with a certain constitutional type and it could be a mixture of like of two of the different types pitta or kapha or some some kind of combination um and what 
what changes over the course of like the stages of life is that certain stages are more influenced by one of the of the doshas they're called so childhood is more um, influenced by the kapha which is the earth and water elements children are they're busy growing and um eating and being snotty and like <laughs> mucusy and things like that and that those are things that are associated with um with kapha and then pitta is the fire and that's associated with mid midlife so from really from puberty through menopause for women it's this really active time in our life where um you know menstruating and maybe having children or we're really invested in our careers and our ambition and our work in the world it's the time of life that's that's heated it's hot it's full of ambition and drive mm -hmm. um and then and then after menopause for women we move into the vata stage of life which um is the air and ether elements it's associated with these elements um and it's can be a time of um like more of like a spiritual connection. It's you kind of moving out of the busyness of life and more moving into the looking inward introspective time of life. Um, so it can, has these ethereal spiritual qualities, um, but it's also Vata is associated with dryness. Um, so it's a time of life that people can kind of get more dry. Sometimes people in their older years, they get constipated and dry skin and they yeah. have trouble sleeping and uh, their digestion is kind of weak. So all, so it's very true that these different types, they, they kind of govern these different stages of life. And so we have to be aware of that when we're thinking about how we're going to set up our routines and what we're going to eat and how we're going to create balance in our life. Wow, I wish this was part of school curriculum. There are so yes. many, <laughs> there are so many modalities that I wish were more involved in, uh, even in grade school, because I, I just see about and, and hear about so many times when, you know, people become adults, they talk about it, how their, their feelings or, or their actions would get dismissed or, um, what's the term I'm looking for, or, um, or just given the wrong title about what they're doing. But what if, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the nervous system and, and eating a little bit, but what if children were allowed to take these tests and, and maybe if the parents were to provide a little bit more insight, we can say, oh, okay, your child is, you know, indefinitely in, in this stage, but they show signs that they could be moving to this stage earlier. So let's work on this possibly a nutrition plan and then maybe th their kid would be more in balance and looked at as this beautiful creative child as opposed to a problem oh my gosh a hundred percent and like just for a quick example there so the the kapha child the one who's really um influenced by the earth and water elements this child will be kind of slow to learn but once they learn the concepts they never forget them um versus a vata child who will be quick to memorize anything. Like they'll memorize things really, really quickly, but then they won't retain any of the material. And so we, so just even in the ways that we teach children or we expect them to learn can really vary from, you know, person to person. And it would be so helpful to know, you know, what is your constitutional type of your child and how can you best support them in learning and their nutrition and their growth, you know, really in all aspects of their life. Wow. Yeah. When I have kids, I will, I will contact you. Okay. And, <laughs> okay. And we're sure. going to go 
this. <laughs> Please do. I do a lot of um, work with preconception through postpartum too. So that's also a love of mine. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Pending. Okay. Yeah, okay. definitely. <laughs> Put a bookmark there. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> So to the, the the nervous system, to calm the nervous system, and this can happen for our, our nervous system can go berserk for, for many things. Sometimes it's, I don't know, people say like solar flares or, you know, whatever's going on currently in the world, or maybe you got hit with a debt that you're just like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? How can we use this practice to calm our nervous system? Yeah, such a good question. And I think we all like to some extent need calming of the nervous system right now in these really, you know, challenging times and um, just with so much changing all the time. So anytime there is, um, for instance, change or transition or irregularity in the routine, that causes some stress on the nervous system for one thing. So, um, so yeah, any even seasonal changes, um, job changes, life changes, all of this is going to cause a little bit of extra stress or strain on the nervous system. And then, um, you know, it's really my, I guess my, my opinion these days is that everyone has some level of trauma in their body. And this can be like, like lowercase t trauma, like something that happened when they were a young child that like maybe like a teacher scolded them and it, you know, outwardly, it didn't seem like a big deal, but inwardly they perceived it as this really, you know, traumatic event. Um, or, you know, a lot of people have also exposed major trauma, whether it's abuse or loss or divorce or, you know, um, financial strain. And so we're all carrying around some level of trauma in our body. And um, this, this kind of keeps the nervous system in a state of fight or flight. And so, so much of the work we have to do is allow our bodies to get into a place of rest and digest that parasympathetic nervous system where we can calm the, it's like, um, it's just the opposite of running from a tiger. It's like when you are sitting to eat a meal calmly or taking a walk, like a gentle walk, or you know, taking a, a nap or laughing with a friend or go, getting adequate sleep, all these things will calm the nervous system. And what I've seen is that it's not actually complicated what calms our nervous system. What's complicated is that modern life doesn't support things like enough hours of sleep or, um, you know, taking a rest middle of the day or, you know, working a little bit less and just having a little bit more free space in your mind to think or to process. And so, so much of the challenge in calming the nervous system is it feels like we have to go upstream against culture, which tells us we need to be busy and productive and, you know, sacrifice our sleep in the name of our work and all of these things. And so really the change starts in our mind and how we frame what's productive and what's important. And, um, and then calming the nervous system becomes doing the things that we probably want to do, but we feel guilty doing in the first place. So, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's one thing about it. Yeah. It, I, I liked everything you said and about, you know, basically going against the grain, what society believes we should be doing. And it's unfortunate that it has come to this, the work, 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 and 
don't really give time for yourself. I have a lot of friends, myself included, who do not smoke. We don't smoke cigarettes. Like we just, we don't do it. And when uh, they go to get fresh air because they've been in a building since six o'clock, seven o'clock, whenever they arrive to work, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Not all the time, but you know, there's still that stigma. But when someone goes to get a, get their cigarette and go on a smoke break, like, oh yeah, yeah. John's gonna, you know, on his umpteen smoke break. But God forbid, you know, Sarah wants to go get some breath of fresh air because she's been in the building (laughs) for hours. I know. know. I used to think that. I'm like, wait, I don't want to smoke, but I want those smoke breaks. I want to just go outside and get that fresh air. I totally have thought that before. Yeah. Right. Get some sunlight, you know, just stretch your legs, something. It's really interesting. Uh, I even saw a, a meme on Instagram about uh, how some countries allow afternoon naps, but in the U.S., it's like no. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Oh man. But yeah, we're but not any more productive than some of those other countries that <laughs> uh, you know that work less. We're probably less productive. Yeah, I, I saw uh, s- uh, studies over the years about that, and and I really think it goes back to you know how you were breaking down, uh, you know h- how people you know transition in life and you know what what uh, category they fall under because some people myself included I work better in the afternoon towards the evening mm-hmm. but it also depends because I like the evenings to myself so an evening to a certain extent the mornings yeah I get stuff done but it's more like autopilot so some people they crank out a bunch of work in the morning or you know whatever work is for them and then towards the afternoon they're just like faded away <laughs> that's me <laughs> yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and some of that is just the different types, you know, that like just the associate with the times of the day that a person's mind functions best and um, which is, which is um, associated with the, the body types, the doshas. Love it. So when people come to you for uh, your, your expertise, what are some of the things that you're debunking in the process to help them? Oh yeah. A lot of things <laughs> like that they've been taught. Um, okay. So one that comes to mind is around food and that's that like it's healthy. Everyone should eat a salad. Like salads are the healthiest food and everyone, you know, it's important for everyone to eat salad. <laughs> does that, does that, do you find that? that yes. Food? I don't like salad. I can't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so oftentimes what I tell people, if they have strain on their digestive systems, especially if they have gas frequently or bloating or constipation or um what else just kind of um they don't really just feel like they digest very well i'll say skip the salad and just eat something warm have a warm cup of soup have some um you know stir fry cook your food and the reason for this is that um the digestive system is the the root of our health it's like the core system that when our digestive systems function well, all of our other systems have the opportunity to function well. And when the digestive system is not functioning well, then it impacts everything else. And Ayurveda has been saying this, speaking this wisdom for over 5,000 years. And it's so interesting because in our modern life, science is now showing that the gut is the root of our you know, health and our even our mental health. It's associated with our mental health. So the gut and the microbiome, they're kind of been popular 
words these past couple years. And I just see it as a reflection of what Ayurveda knew all along, which is you have to maintain the optimal functioning of the digestive system. And one way to do that is to give it foods that are just easy to break down, easy to digest. Mm. So like the, the stomach is like a cooking pot and it's just easier to break down something that's already pre-cooked um, versus something that's raw and cold. And so for a lot of people, that simple shift, one is they love it. They're like, oh, I hate salads anyway. Like, thank you. Thank you. I love you now. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying I'm like, yeah, she's amazing. Cause I don't like salads. Yeah. <laughs> And another way is like you end up um, maybe some of the the nutrients and the nutrition is leached out in the cooking process, but a lot of what is left is more bioavailable to the body. And so the body can sometimes be more nourished by eating cooked foods and um, have an easier time breaking down them down, have less gas and bloating after meals, have more um, just feeling of satiation. And so kind of switching to more cooked foods, eating a hot lunch, like these things are really important, but people are really in the habit of the grab and go style lunch, or um, maybe just drinking coffee all day until, you know, and just having dinner be the main meal. I see that a lot of the time. And I guarantee anyone who's doing that is um, having some sort of digestive issues, exhaustion, or weight, weight loss issues. They can't, you know, um, they're having trouble losing weight. So um, that's one thing that is important to, that I de debunk pretty much off the bat with every client. Um, I, I really, really like that. Um, and I, I was going to ask you too. So I was, <laughs> I, I did a, uh, what I call a, a event session, event session in the Facebook group. And I just said, is anyone else like me who just can't stand to cook? Like you just don't like it. And even <laughs> when you buy the simplest foods, you're like, oh, and over a hundred women like to cook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so for us women, if there's a hundred, I know there's a thousand and probably a million or so. So yes. for, uh, and I, I just say in, in women, cause I just work mostly with women. So for, I, I'll just say us spiritual trailblazers who want to be more involved in um, what we are putting in, in our bodies, can we still achieve, uh, you know, like the, the warm meals by going to a restaurant? Does that lower the, the energy and, and the benefit if, if we get our food from other places as opposed to cooking it ourselves? Yeah, you bring up a really good point. So there's a few ways to answer this. Um, you know, the the real, like looking at the subtle energy of it is that um, Ayurveda will say that the consciousness of the cook, like their consciousness gets infused into the food. Hmm. Um, and so when you think about like, let's say you think about like, you know, mom's chocolate chip cookies or grandma's yeah. chicken soup. And, and you might have the recipe, but it never tastes the same. It never quite mm -hmm. tastes the same. And that's because like they've infused it with their love, with their consciousness, with, you know, their, you know, wanting to nurture their child or grandchild. And so you have to think of like, and this is on a really subtle level, but you, it does make a difference. So what is, when you go to a restaurant, like, what is that you know, cook on the line thinking, are they, you know, what's their consciousness? And, and, you know, and that, you know, is subtly getting transferred into the food. So, you know, it's one of those things that I'm not an extremist or purist in any way. I love eating out. I love going to restaurants, but, um, when I, when I cook 
most, like more of the time for myself, I definitely feel better than when I'm eating out. And, you know, that also might be because I'm more in control of the ingredients that goes in it, the type of oils, even just poor quality oils can really um, do some, like have a, do some harm on the body mm -hmm. and how we feel. So um, I, I really understand. So I, I love to cook. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, I'm not in the same boat of the, um, you know, not wanting to cook, but I just think of it like for people who don't love to cook, but they really want to feel healthier. I just look at it as like, just, it's something to learn to adapt to, or to, you know, maybe find a partner who will cook for you or something, yeah. or even, you know, get a meal service that is really good quality cooks and, you know, food and consciousness. Cause there are restaurants out there now who, you know, you, you know, might be serving this kind of really high quality food. Um, but it is, it is recognizing the importance of, of a home cooked meal and being able to just watch your ingredients and, you know, be aware of the consciousness of the cook. Yeah, that, that's so true. It's nothing like a little TLC in the cooking that separates, yeah. you know, grandma's cooking from mom's cooking from your cooking. That yeah. is so true. I think whenever I can go back out after this quarantine pandemic yeah. situation <laughs> i will uh, send love and uh positive vibes to the cook <laughs> yeah yeah i know i worked in a lot of restaurants like in my 20s and i don't know they like there there was there was you know sometimes it's quite stressful back on the line but it's also mm -hmm. like there's a lot of sometimes but depending on the restaurant there's some really fun vibes back there too so you know you never know but um one thing i just wanted to add was is that um uh, what was it? Oh, I, f I forgot. <laughs> we'll come back to it. <laughs> Having so much fun here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just shifting gears a little bit to the, the second half of the title, Chinese medicine. Um, I don't know much about it. So I, I would love to know, uh, like, what's it, what is Chinese medicine? What's included? How does it help us? Sure. So Chinese medicine is an umbrella term and it and it encompasses um, acupuncture, um, herbal medicine, things like cupping. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with, with cupping? Um, I heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So people who are not familiar, sometimes there's celebrity, you know, news media about like, like, let's say like a swimmer or an athlete, and they have these big bruises all over their back. And that's from cupping, which is a therapy for, um, just to help the body heal and maybe help with inflammation or pain or even just like even used for the immune system. Um, there's a lot of different modalities encompassed within Chinese medicine. Um, but I would say acupuncture is, is the main one that a lot of people think of when they hear that term. Mm, yeah, I, I was thinking of getting that done and I definitely want to try the cupping cupping i'm a little bit nervous so what can i expect from acupuncture versus cupping yeah so oftentimes they go they can go hand in hand so some practitioners and based on the client the patient's presentation will do them you know acupuncture and then a couple minutes of cupping at the end um so acupuncture is the use of very tiny needles into these vital energy points all that are kind of mapped all over the body and um, a lot of people ask me, does it hurt? And I would say generally, no, it's often you don't even feel it, or you might feel a little insertion of like, 
like maybe a mosquito bite. It's like, mm. it goes from feeling almost nothing to just a little, you know, something real quickly and then it's gone. Um, and what most people feel in a treatment is they just feel like they can take a really deep rest or even fall asleep. It's like, they'll get off the table and say, wow, that was the best nap I've ever had. And I suck at napping. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it can help, um, calm the nervous system. I mean, that's like the, one of the number one things I think of when acupuncture, when I'm, when I'm, you know, no matter, and that's really important for the healing process because the body only heals when the nervous system is in a state of calm. Mm -hmm. And so part of what acupuncture is doing is it's helping to calm the nervous system because then the body can heal itself. And sometimes there's blockages in the energy. We call it chi, chi in um, Chinese medicine or prana in the Ayurveda and yogic sense. Mm -hmm. And those are, that's just the vital life force of the body. And it can get blocked in places. It can be deficient in other places. And so what acupuncture is doing is it's helping to free the flow of the chi so that the body can heal itself. And acupuncture can be used for really any, any physical ailments or even um, mental emotional challenges like anxiety or depression. Um, a lot of people seek it out for pain or insomnia or digestive discomfort or um, immune system issues. So, um, but the overall experience is generally a very pleasant one. Um, and then cupping often, uh, it's often done on the back, but it can be done other places of the body. And I think it feels great. It's kind of like a little massage, like you, mm. um, place the cups and either through heat or suction, you suction up the skin underneath the cups until it's, um, creates a seal and it creates a pressure exchange. And um, it just kind of feels like someone's like squeezing your flesh in a really good way, kind of like a hard massage. And then sometimes the cups can be moved around or they might stay in place. Um, but generally it has a really nice feeling as well. Most people enjoy it. Or if it kind of hurts, it's like that good kind of pain that you get in a massage. Mm -hmm. um, and then after the cups, um, they can be intensely detoxifying. So some people, um, you know, need to rest a little bit more or drink a lot of water. Um, some people do have more intense detoxification responses, but generally people tend to feel pretty good, but it can leave some bruising. Yeah. You, you just brought back a memory. Uh, I forget many birthdays ago. I'm talking as if I'm 90 years old, many birthdays ago. Uh, but one birthday, my best friend treated me to a massage. And this lady, when she got to my lower back, I thought she was going to kill me. Uh -huh. um, and I, I'm exaggerating, but it's just like, it was, it was hard. It was intense, but it was like that good pain. And then I don't know what happened. I was like, you know, it was like this big, like relief. Like, I don't know what she did, but uh -huh. she broke up some energy on that lower back area. But, you know, initially I'm just like, oh my God, this woman is going to wreck me <laughs> so I, I just say that because you know sometimes when we um experience something that's uncomfortable our mind goes a bajillion different ways even when i get my eyebrows waxed and she's ripping off the mm -hmm. you know the, the hair i'm like she's she's going to rip off my entire face you know yeah. you need to start to think this so i just encourage people to go there with the open mind and a little discomfort tends to mean you're in the right direction like when we get a little bit of 
that, you know, cold sweater or whatever before we speak, but then we, we just knock that speech out the ballpark. I feel like it's that barrier that we had to break through. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's true that sometimes we like so much growth happens when we, when we face our discomfort and, um, yeah. But that said, acupuncture generally is not uncomfortable. <laughs> so I just, I don't <laughs> want to scare people. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like to just, um, do the, to just, you know, explain that just because, uh, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think anyone would do this, but I don't want someone to be like, Oh my God, take it off and run out or something like that. I just like to yeah. imagine almost not the worst case scenario, but someone just, just thinking like, I don't like this. No, I just take a breath. Yeah. You know, yeah. just, go with it and some people aren't used to being touched on on their back so they may go there what more anxiety they had than Mm -hmm. before they walked in (laughs) yeah that's true and it's really important to feel comfortable and at ease with the practitioner um or the acupuncturist whoever it is because it is kind of an intimate you know thing if someone's you know touching your back or your belly or checking your pulse like if someone is not comfortable with physical touch it might be um it's generally it's generally fine once you know the there's a rapport that's built between the the practitioner and the client um and there and so and that you know generally happens through the questioning process and the intake process so yeah Awesome. So let's say everyone's doing this. They are understanding if they're kapha. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Still yep. getting the hang of that, you know, or one other uh, two uh, doshas. Okay. And now they're getting acupuncture. Let's say they're doing it. Everything's working well. Then boom, something happens. They get off the bandwagon. What's one of the easiest and first, first steps they can take to get back into the groove of things? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I always go back. So sometimes when something happens, it really, um, people get out of their routine or they stop doing the things that were supporting them, like eating meals or getting enough sleep or getting some exercise. So it would be to, you know, go back to some of those basics, like what has fallen off, you know, what, where have they fallen off the wagon in a sense, or, um, you know, what's going on? Like, is, did something really, you know, stressful happen or something really sad happen? And, you know, it's really about, um, there's, okay. So there's this process, um, like, okay, so I'm just going to launch into something <laughs> just cause to help bring this point to the fullness. But, um, so I talked a lot about digestion of our food and that has to be, you know, we have to digest things properly, but we also have to digest our experiences of our life. Mm. And when this gets stuck in our, in like it is the incomplete, this kind of, let's say it's an incomplete processing of, of trauma or, or, you know, any discomfort or feelings of pain, our nature is to repress those and to resist feeling how we feel. And so a lot of the work is, is in allowing yourself to feel what's coming up for you. Like if it's sadness, if it's anger, if it's worry, and, you know, we have all these clever ways of pushing away our true feelings, like, um, you know, whether it's, um, just, you know, watching a bunch of Netflix or which is fun and fine, you know, but if it's done in a way to like numb out or whatever the numbing behavior is, it's like, we have to start looking at that, um, whether it's drinking or shopping or, um, you know, just being really, 
I don't know, thinking about things that aren't really super important and going back to like understanding that there's something that's not being processed, that's not being dealt with. And that is creating stress. It's creating emotional discomfort and it's likely creating physical discomfort as well. Mm. And so I always want to look at what's going on with the emotions and how can we start to digest and process um, our daily experiences, just some of the ups and downs of day-to-day life, but also the bigger, the bigger things that occur in one's life. Yeah. Some shadow work going on there. I love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. You just brought back a memory for me that I'm going to have to reflect on. So thank you. And and like you said, it's something that we kind of push to the side, you know, and sometimes we just don't know how to address it. So Mm -hmm. we just put it on a back burner. That's, that's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Last but not least your business, the yin way. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So, um, so, so much of what I've been sharing is kind of part of this, what I call the yin way, but to give you all the, the background of it. So in Chinese medicine, we have yin and yang, that symbol that um, probably everyone is familiar with the, the yin yang symbol. Um, and the yin represents um, like the yin and the yang, they each represent different things. So the yin represents the feminine energy. It represents um, nighttime and winter and darkness and coolness um, and kind of that inward energy. And the yang represents the masculine energy and it represents heat and daytime and summer and activity and kind of that external expression of our lives. And the yin way is really about saying, okay, we live in a world that idealizes and prioritizes and values everything associated with yang, everything associated with Mm -hmm. activity, um, doing, being productive or like outward appearance or external success, even, even like the masculine energy. Um, But we've done so at the expense of the yin. And as a default, we deprioritized and devalued the things associated with yin, which are um, rest and play and nourishment and introspection and stillness and the things that really fill us up internally, like on a soul spiritual level. And so the yin way is really this idea that in order to create balance in any person, we have to balance off the yin and the yang energy and, and most people are kind of living in their masculine side and they're not as much connected into their feminine yin side. And so a lot of this work is on helping people reconnect to like the wholeness of who they are. And um, a lot of that is that shadow work where we, um, we, we repress our feelings, we lose touch of our emotions, we kind of get busy to kind of crowd out feeling how we feel. And that is the root of disease. That's the root of uh, poor health. That's the root of why our nervous systems are jacked up. That's the root of mental exhaustion. And it's like our health and our vitality and our happiness and fulfillment, it all lies in reconnecting to the yin and placing it to equal value as the young. And um, so when I work with people, we, it's kind of like, this is the, the foundation. It's like, how can we um, apply this concept to different parts of our lives so that we feel more whole and connected? And a lot of people tell me they just 
feel disconnected to themselves or, mm -hmm. you know, they live from their heads and they're not in touch with their bodies. And so it depends on the person, but we work through these things in order to um, just feel our best and live our best lives. That's really the goal. I love it. Yes, we do need to get uh, reacquainted with our bodies, <laughs> you know, like get out of our head and, and really uh, think about that. I, I, I believe that's one of the reasons why goddess Kali's symbol is just so off-putting because she's holding a head, but that uh -huh. means to not think, think with your head all the time. So right. yeah, beautiful. Any final words? Um, yeah, just because we're talking about the head and, and so in, um, you know, in Ayurveda, we, there's like this, it's this mind body connection. And we, and we, when we think about the mind, we often think that the mind lives in the head, but in Ayurveda, the, the root of the mind is in the heart. Mm. And so it's really this beautiful tradition of how do we connect back with the truth of who we are and that our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health, it all depends on us being like, living the full expressions of ourselves. And sometimes that is painful. Sometimes there's difficult things to face, but when we can show up for that rather than, you know, retreat from it, that's where we transform. That's how we heal. And that's how we, um, really like, um, yeah, like become the version of ourselves that we, that we want to become. Amazing. And that's all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel, for making time to really give us this amazing information to really turn around our lives and the lives of others in the process. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tia, for having me. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And I, I really enjoyed this. No problem. And I mean it when I have children, they're going to yeah. Take the task and come to you. Let's get them off on a good foot. Yeah. Exactly. Well, spiritual trailblazers, thank you for tuning in. I am sending you so many blessings. I am rooting for you as always. And remember to be kind to yourself. Until next time. As always, spiritual trailblazer, thank you for tuning in. Do make sure to stop by and visit me at tiamariejohnson.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe. Last but not least, be kind to yourself. I'm rooting for you and I'm sending you so many blessings. Until next time.